Hi, food buffs. We are so happy to be back for the first episode of 2017. Today's show is brought to you by HelloFresh. We are very excited because they are our dream sponsor. Please visit HelloFresh.com and use the promo code FOODBUFF, that's F-O-O-D-B-U-F-F, to save $35 off your first week of deliveries. I'm your host, Lillian Yang. And I'm your host, Fakri Shafai. And you are listening to Food Nonfiction, the incredible true stories behind food. Today, when you roast something, you're most likely going to use an oven to get the job done. But it used to be that roasting was done over an open fire. Since an open fire means that the heat source is only coming from one direction, you had to continuously turn the meat so that it would be cooked evenly on all sides and not get burnt in any one spot. So before any automated way to turn a spit, someone had to do it by hand. Imagine you were that person. Imagine you were indoors with a blazing hot fire in front of you. Your eyes were watering from the smoke and fumes, and you were turning a heavy spit, carrying over 30 pounds of meat on it. Imagine this was going to take several hours. It was a rough job to do. So it was done by the lowest in the kitchen hierarchy. These were the scullions, usually boys, who worked in the kitchen doing all the cleaning. When the turnspit wheel was invented, and the horrible job of turning a spit could be passed on to animals, cooks quickly made the switch. This is the incredible true story of turnspit dogs, a now extinct breed of dog that was used to turn roasting spits in England. We called up the charming Kira Farrell at the Kennel Club. Hello, my name is Kira Farrell. I'm the Library and Collections Manager at the Kennel Club Library here in London. I'm guessing you're a big fan of dogs? Well, you have to be to work here. It really, really helps. Do you have a dog? I don't. I've got two cats. Really? <laughs> yeah, lots of my colleagues do have dogs. And because you can bring your dogs to work in our building, I do get to see lovely dogs every day. The earliest reference to turnspit dogs is in a book by Dr. John Keese which was published in 1570. He wrote a book called The Cannabis Britannicis, and that described all the breeds of dogs that he saw around him in the Britain of that time. So he wrote it in Latin, but it was translated into English, and this is what he has to say. They are in kitchen service excellent. When any meat is to be roasted, they go into a wheel where they, turning about with the weight of their body, so diligently look to their business that not drudge nor scullion can do the feat more cunningly. So he describes them there as being better at the job than a servant would be, but they go into the wheel and keep it moving. So here we should explain how these dogs were used to turn roasting spits. Basically, turn spit dogs were put into a wooden wheel that looked like a giant hamster wheel. And this wheel was hung over the roasting spit, as in hung over a large fire with delicious cooking meat which they couldn't have. And then they were forced to run in this wheel, which turned a chain which turned the spit. The turnspit dog was described as a kitchen service dog. They varied a lot in appearance, because they probably weren't bred in any standardized way. Unlike today, dogs weren't spayed or neutered back then, so if you had a couple of turnspit dogs, they probably would have taken care of their own breeding. They tended to have dark-colored, gray-blue-brown spotty fur. And importantly, their tails were curled up high over their backs so that their tails wouldn't get caught working in the wheels. They had dropped ears, 
And the great naturalist Thomas Buick, in his description of them in 1790, says that they have odd-colored eyes. Now, whether just the ones he saw had odd-colored eyes or whether it was something that he saw throughout them. The other is uh, something that we're not quite sure, but he saw them with odd-colored eyes. The other thing is they're described as having crooked legs, sometimes bandy legs. Now, whether that's because they were working in the wheels and it distorted their legs, or whether they were born like that is a matter of speculation. In fact, Charles Darwin mentions this as an example of nature versus versus nurture in Origin of the Species. It's the transpit dog he uses as an example to say it could be from their work, they might be born this way. They're described uniformly as ugly though, poor little things. We have some idea of what they look like from various drawings. And also, there's whiskey. There is one purported stuffed turnspit in existence at the Castle Museum in Abergavenny and it's a very odd looking little dog um, it's quite distorted in its shape that could be because of a bad taxidermy job or it could be that he was deformed or she was deformed over the course of her life from her work um, but she is quite quite humped in the back and that could be from her work in the wheel okay and so this is whiskey that's whiskey yes Whiskey doesn't look like most of the descriptions we have of turnspit dogs, but as we mentioned, they were a pretty varied breed. Turnspit dogs really just needed to be strong enough to do their grueling task. They needed powerful little legs. Do you know much about Whiskey? Not a whole lot. There's not a whole lot known about Whiskey apart from uh, she was given to the museum at uh, Abergavenny at the castle. Um, There was paperwork associated with her at one point, but that's gone missing she is quite small but the wheel she's purported to have been worked in is also one of the smaller wheels so she would fit the wheel that she's supposed to have worked in which they do have there at the museum as well. Kira tells us that there are about eight wheels still in existence and that they vary in size. They go from about 75 to 145 centimeters in diameter and from about 20 to 29 centimeters in width. So turnspit dogs of different sizes could have been used. It's also known as the vernipater, which means the dog that turns the wheel. So it had a very important job in British life. As you know, British people love roast beef, and the proper way to roast beef then was on an open spit. So you could do that two ways. You could employ a servant, or you could do something cheaper and employ a dog to do it. There was a lot of work for turnspit dogs to do. During the Tudor period, when these dogs were widely used, England was quite rich in firewood. And this resource permitted the English to maintain fires for the lengthy process of roasting entire animals. In large kitchens, there could be multiple different fires going in order to properly cook different types of meat. Cooks of that time needed to be able to read the fire and control its strength. And of course, you also needed to be able to judge the temperament of fire and carefully control it because fire is so dangerous. It was only in the 1400s that people in England started to build their kitchens as part of their homes. Before that, kitchens were built separate from houses, so that houses wouldn't be burnt down if the kitchen was set on fire. Anyway, for a while, turnspit dogs were pretty well known. They would have been used in in rich kitchens, um, in wealthy houses that would have been roasting meat every day. The other place they would have been seen primarily would have been in inns and hotels, who also have to cook an awful lot of food every day for hungry travellers. So they would have been a common sight. Even people who didn't have them in their own homes would have known what they looked like because they would have seen them working in public kitchens like inns or hotels. Turnspit dogs were a symbol of hard work reluctantly done. Pretty much all dogs at the time were working dogs. 
as the idea of pet ownership really emerged in the 1850s, when hardly anyone was using turnspit dogs anymore. But even amongst the dogs of their time, they had some of the hardest lives. Their job was painful and monotonous, and they really had no relationship with their masters. There are accounts that cooks would throw hot coals into the turnspit wheels to get the dogs' feet to move faster. The job was so physically straining that sometimes dogs would be alternated, perhaps every few hours or every second day. Some people believe that this is where the phrase "every dog has its day" comes from, referring to the days when turnspit dogs get to rest. It's also said that turnspit dogs may have gotten some rest on Sundays. That's the rumor. Yes, that's one of the little fun facts about them is that there were accounts of them being given half days on Sundays to go to church、um, to keep people's feet feet warm. That was a, something that a lot of small dogs did as a job at that period. From high status dogs like toy spaniels that were kept by fine ladies down to things like the, the little turnspit, and there are lots of jokes about、uh, the Bishop of Gloucester preaching sermons that mentioned、uh, roasting or hellfire or things like that, and the dogs hearing this running out of the church, assuming that they were going to be put to work. Eventually, the inventiveness that created the cruel turnspit wheel also made it obsolete. Because roast meats were so important to British cuisine, people were always trying to make the cooking process easier. Mechanical jacks made turnspit dogs obsolete in most of England by the 1850s. It was only in the further reaches of England, for example, Bristol and Somerset, that turnspit dogs were used into the 1860s. Only because the mechanical jack may have taken longer to reach those areas. The earliest type of mechanical jack powered the turning of roasting spits by using a weight which hung from a cord, which was wound up around a cylinder. As the weight slowly dropped, this moved a series of wheels and pulleys. We'll post a video of a mechanical jack on Facebook because it's hard to picture in your head how it works. Over time, people experimented with many ways to power mechanical jacks, including steam, smoke, water, and clockwork. But we should note that the mechanics were not so new. In fact, Leonardo da Vinci had drawn a sketch of a smoke-powered jack in his notebook around the year 1500. And had this machine been connected to a spit and made commercially available, it could have spared the lives of many dogs. But to the general public, this was high-tech stuff at the time. Anyhow, the turnspit dogs were mostly gone by the 1850s, barely hanging on in the 1860s. And completely extinct by 1900. As a humble breed, that only had one job to do. As soon as that job goes away, no one is going to take a serious interest in these dogs anymore.、Um, most of them, you know, didn't weren't pets. They weren't going to、uh, be bred by anybody. Nobody's going to take them on as a hobby kind of dog. They were quite a low status dog. But while they are extinct, there are modern breeds that are possibly related to them. We've got some people say with great confidence that they are. Related to French Basset hounds, or that they're related to Dachshunds, and then other people will turn around and flatly contradict that. Likely candidates are that they are a bit like some of the rough sorts of terriers we have, like a Glen of a Mal Terrier, which is an Irish Terrier breed, which has got a very, very long body and stout little legs and is very, very strong. Or there's another candidate, which is the Corgi, which、uh, they were very. Common in Wales, these dogs, and they held on in Wales a lot longer than they did in other parts of the country. And corgis again have got big, long bodies but short little legs, ideal for running in a wheel. Like now, a full-size corgi now would never fit in a wheel like this, but they could have been smaller than that. 
The end of the days of the Turnspit Dog was also the beginning of animal welfare associations. The founder of the ASPCA, the American Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals, had seen the cruelty against turnspit dogs, so they would have been one of the many examples of cruelty that fueled the fight for animal welfare. So next time you make a roast, take a moment to remember the turnspit dog. Thackeray, it's been too long. <laughs> it really has. How are you doing, Lillian? Did you have a nice holiday? Really good. I was in Florida, so Universal Studios, Harry Potter land. It's not actually called it. It's like the wizarding world of Harry Potter or something. And uh, Disney World, of course. Yeah. Ooh, I've heard good things about butterbeer. Yes, I'll drink it hot or cold. There's a lot of ways you can drink butterbeer. Yeah, how about you? I had a great holiday. I was back in California, spent my time between San Francisco, um, back home at my parents' house near Auburn, California, and then up in Truckee, up by Tahoe and in the mountains. And I even tried snowmobiling for the first time. Ooh. So let's tell our listeners about who sponsored this episode. It's HelloFresh. So HelloFresh is a meal kit delivery service that Thackery has personally tried. Basically, every week, HelloFresh makes a new delicious recipe with step-by-step instructions designed to be easy, fun, and convenient and take around 30 minutes to make. They deliver to your doorstep all the ingredients in the recipe measured to the exact quantities needed. So there's no food waste, and they source the freshest ingredients, and the delivery is free. The kit comes in a special insulated box. What I loved about the box was that it tore down easily, and it was completely recyclable. So I could break down everything, put it in my recycling bin, and not have to worry that I'm contributing to overall waste. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah. So what did you get to make? Oh, I got three meals delivered, which is part of their pronto plan. So they have three plans. There's a veggie plan, a pronto plan, and a family plan. And each of them delivers a certain number of meals, usually three meals per week. And every week the recipes are different. So you get to try all sorts of new foods, different sorts of cooking techniques, but luckily simple enough techniques that you're able to... uh make it within 30 minutes, and somebody like me, who's not a professional chef, is able to handle these recipes. We are shockingly not good chefs. We enjoy good food. (laughs) We don't make good food. So, yeah, what did you eat? The first meal, and my personal favorite, that I made was the Moroccan spiced salmon. It came with two salmon fillets, and then red onions, mint, tomato, vegetable broth, and couscous. And one of my new favorite ingredients to put in couscous is now uh, pomegranate. That's surprising. Yeah. And it was just perfect with the salmon. They gave a great recipe. Everything was done in less than 30 minutes. And the tartness and tart sweet uh, pop of a pomegranate seed along with the tomatoes and... um, the fish and everything else in there was really tasty. In fact, my friend that I invited over to try it out with me, she said it's one of her favorite meals that she's ever had. So HelloFresh, thanks so much. That's like, it's awesome because it's a combination I would have never thought to try. Exactly. And that's one of the things about doing uh, HelloFresh that I've discovered is that I've learned new ways to cook. One of the recipes I got, the hoisin pork stir fry, was great. It had 
sugar snap peas, which are my favorite, along with yellow peppers and great sauce with the pork, brown rice, all of that, everything less than 30 minutes. But one of the tricks I learned according to the recipe book, by the way, when you get this, when you get these packages, they come with a recipe sheet for each food that you uh, were sent. And the recipes have really helpful tips. For instance, I never knew the whole reason why you only browned half of a package of meat at a time is because it would stew if there's too much in the bottom of the pan. In my mind, I was like, well, I have a really big pan, so I can just put it all in there at once. But no, if you really want to brown it properly, that's not the way to do it. And I would have never learned that if not for HelloFresh. Cool. What was the uh, third dish that you ate? So the third dish that I ate was the lemony chicken salad which was a great salad. Originally, when I saw a salad come, I was like, that's not going <laughs> to fill me up. But then when I found out the ingredients, there was goat cheese, a pear, baby spinach, and my new favorite ingredient for salads, who knew, mini Yukon potatoes. I was definitely full afterwards. The chicken was delicious, and it was so simple. It's easy. It's for everyone. It's from newbie cooks to pro cooks. But the best part is that we can offer you food buffs $35 off your first week of deliveries. Go to HelloFresh.com and use the promo code FOODBUFF, F-O-O-D-B-U-F-F. Remember, when you support our sponsors, you're supporting our show, and we thank you. And if any food buffs happen to order from HelloFresh and you'd like to share your experiences with one of their awesome recipes, please post it on our Facebook page. Yes, we'd love to see it. Bye. Bye.